What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Recals Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined today uh, once again by my good friend, Ren, from uh, Risk Time Co. How's it going today, man? Hey, buddy. Good. How are you? Good, dude. You know, it's good to chat with you again. Uh, we, we had you on the show not too long ago, but uh, you're kind of becoming our resident, uh, I guess, dealer to come and talk about uh, pieces, the gray market, the state of the market and things like that. And it's always a fun conversation chatting with you, whether it's on the show or in DMs or anything like that. So I'm glad we're, we're doing another episode with you, with you today already. Thank you, man. Pleasure is all mine. Always nice chatting with you. Right on, right on, man. Before we uh, kind of dig into some of the nuts and bolts of today's discussion, what do you got on the wrist today? It looks like something that's a little bit uh, unique. I know last time you came with a pretty unique piece as well, too. So you always have something cool on the wrist to talk about. Uh, yes. Today I got the the Willis Narden, uh, the 42 mil diver. Beautiful. On the ash bracelet. Yeah. Uh, beautiful piece. Uh, you know, very underrated in my opinion. I've been wearing this bad boy for past three, four days on my wrist and just can't get it off it. You know, it it's doesn't killer. scream loud, but it, it has enough language and class, you know, to hold its own. It's one of those ones where like, you might not, uh, like most people might not know what it is, but the people that know kind of recognize it a little bit right away and know that it's something kind yeah. of special and cool, right? It sort of, uh, it's like the modern uh, evolution of the, um, of uh, the, the maxi marine divers from like kind of the, the early and mid 2000s if i recall correctly and so you see some of that design language there but it really has been refined into a very contemporary uh looking piece with some really impressive kind of specifications yes it actually is i love it yeah. Love it. what about you what you got on your wrist well i'm sure you know what i have on the wrist today but um <laughs> this is a piece that you had no small uh no small part in uh helping me get my hands on thankfully it's my newest obsession which is my uh brightling avenger gmt night mission so a bit of a bit of a mouthful to uh get get the whole name out but it's such a cool piece man i love this thing and brightling is quickly becoming my newest obsession in watches i love uh I love the design. I love sort of like the unapologetic brutish toolness about the piece. Um, and it just looks cool. Like it just, it's just an awesome, awesome watch. It's kind of a, I was joking about this the other day, talking to someone else about it. And it's like, I sort of spoiled myself going straight to a night mission from, yeah, uh, yeah, from yeah. Breitling, you know, like there's no like, you know, get a Colt and then a super ocean and kind of work your way up and get, yeah, like, yeah. just went straight for the grail there. And it's such a cool piece, man. I absolutely love this watch and, you know, thank you very much for your help in sourcing this and making the deal and kind of working that out. Cause it's just such a cool watch and it wears so well. Uh, and it's, and it's at 45 millimeters, it wears smaller than my Panerai did. And yeah. uh, at 12 millimeters thick, I mean, it's, it slips perfectly under a sleeve um, and, being the DLC titanium, it's so light as well too. Yeah. Like I really, this watch is just phenomenal. I already have some straps on the way as well too. The ones yeah. you sent, the ones you sent over with it already, they fit wonderfully, but I mean, this thing's just an absolute strap monster. So I'm excited to get it on some canvas and some other things as well too, but very, very cool. I, I absolutely love it. I know you're a Breitling guy as well too. So it's really oh, yeah. nice to be able to pick up a Breitling from a guy that kind of appreciates them for what they are. Right. I, I think that if I wanted something that maybe wasn't uh, one of their best models, I would be able to get an informed opinion from you about pushing me in of the course. right direction, you know? So, and it's funny you say that because the clientele that I have for Breitling, it's, it kind of reminds me of my Rolex guys in the sense that you can never have just one Breitling. Mm -hmm. I feel like when people get one, 
they need to have the second one, they need the diver, they need the travel, they need this. It's just, and they're so different and like and unique in their own way that people seem like just can't get enough of one. Like mm. I honestly don't know a guy that just has one brightly. Somehow they would have two or three, you know, lined up or have one already. Well, and I think like part of that speaks to just like the um, like there's the quality that's there, which surprised the hell out of me. Like I didn't know until I sort of got later into my research that Brightlink's like still an independently owned company, right? So they're out there just doing their own thing, kicking ass and making awesome watches, and you know they're not a part of any large conglomerate or anything like that, which I think is is quite remarkable based on what they're achieving. But also they're just they're so like unapologetic about the designs that they have. Like they they'll say like, this is, these are watches made for guys, right? Like to go and yeah. do, to do sketchy stuff in, right. Like it's pretty, <laughs> and they yeah. have, they have some of their modern stuff, which I know um, now in the last few years, they started to put out. that's more um, conservative, I guess, or a little bit more kind yeah. of uh, reserved or, or more classy as some would say, you know, this is probably not the watch to wear with a suit at a wedding i guess if you wanted to you could but it's you know yeah. they have they have more uh you know classy pieces if that's kind of what you're looking for um Absolutely. but i really really enjoy them for what they are and i want to get more into brightling i want to circle back to brightling because i do want to get sort of your insights on the brand as well too but before we do that let's talk a little bit about kind of what's changed in the market since the last time we talked a few months ago um kind of what your thoughts are on the market post watches and wonders, the pieces to look for, the pieces that, you know, maybe are, are more popular now than they were last time we chatted. What are your thoughts on what's going on with Rolex and things like that right now? I know it's a loaded question, so. Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. So we'll try to break it up in parts. Well, yeah. watches and wonders, right? I'm sure every watch guy saw, you know, the highlights of it, right? Rolex obviously took the show, the spotlight. Uh, if you say, you know, they released their, you know, the Yacht Master 42 in titanium. I absolutely love it. I think that would be the Rolex for me out of the line. And obviously added to that, you know, the new funky jigsaw dials and then this and then that. Um, they've discontinued uh, the Milgauss, uh, of course. And then they discontinued some of the meteorite dials from the, uh, well, actually all the meteorite dials in Daytona's. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people were in my in my world a lot of people like you know speculate right like i have guys that i talk to on you know weekly basis and they tell me hey why don't you hold some pepsis what if coke comes out like you know i'm not in the market to speculate it right but obviously as soon as milgauss gets discontinued i get dropped 20 messages from guys that i sold the milgauss to hey would you be paying me four or five grand more now you know it's funny to see you know people's reaction right and it always makes you question you know, people that buy Rolex, are they really buying it because they love it? Or are mm -hmm. they buying it because with hopes to flip it and profit from it, right? Like it's that every time I get a question, I would like to buy a watch, let's say 10 to 12K budget, something I don't want to lose money on. You know, historically, everything you bought in past, you tend to lose money on. Now, obviously, market has changed so much. You know, used cars fetch more than new cars. People make money on shoes, car like everything right the market is completely different so from that standpoint you know people obviously trying to cash out when they can you know make money even maybe they're not deal watch dealers but you know market is market and it and it dictates the rules um but you know a lot of people i've saw right now you know trying to focus more on higher end brands you know there's a lot of dealers out there that you know don't want to touch you know 
anything but Rolex AP and Patek, right? Because it's more liquid, it's quicker turnover. You don't have to sit on the product for you know weeks and months, and you know just different kind of clientele, obviously, for that kind of product. Uh, but yeah, market is uh, you know slowed down a bit. Uh, you know, Canadian market is well for me at least. Uh, we heavily depend on USD. When USD drops, right. you know that kind of affects the pricing on stuff, right? But I guess it's, you know, it's early. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we're having good weather ahead. So maybe things will turn around or maybe people are just traveling and they're not thinking about watches, but business is good otherwise, man, you know. That's really interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's glad to hear that things are good otherwise. And, you know, it's interesting to kind of hear what you're saying about like people uh, coming kind of out of the woodwork right away, trying to like resell the watch kind of back to you, right? Is that, do you think sort of has something more to do with just like watches sort of being designated as a bit of an asset class now? Like you obviously know the people that you're sort of selling these pieces to. I know like, especially like, I, I guess like when you and I were like exchanging over pieces to sell and we talk back and forth, like there's very that like personal connection back and forth of us talking, right? Absolutely. A lot of a lot of these other pieces that you're selling, are they like maybe sold directly through your site? Like, do you sort of get that feel, I guess, from these customers of who's just buying a piece to sit on it and try to make money versus who's buying yes. it as an enthusiast or a collector? Absolutely. Like I don't, um, a lot of my clients, right. Is a lot repeat business as you would imagine in my line of work, mm -hmm. you know, if I were to put my clientele in a class, I can, you know, spread them in three categories. The guys that would buy a piece, you know, wear it for a week, call me, say, hey, switch me up for something else, mm -hmm. right? These guys just don't know what they want, but they want to try everything. Mm -hmm. You know, then there's guys that are collectors, right? That they will buy it, hold it, you know, and then see what happens with the market. If they can flip it for profit, they probably would. And mm -hmm. there's obviously the guys that, you know, just don't buy and just question and they ask you. There's different, like I said, it's not... Uh, and the majority of my sales, I would say 90% of them would go to repeat clientele. So I guess with that, ha having said that, you know, you always remember, like, for example, hey, let's say client A took this piece, client B took this piece. So you have that on back of your mind. And then whenever, let's say you reach out to me and say, hey, I'm looking for this night mission. And I know the client A has it. I have a good enough relationship with them. I'll message them and say, hey, would you be interested in trading it or selling it? Because I might mm -hmm. have some potential buyer. So mm -hmm. that helps the business and that kind of helps, you know, the product to rotate and, you know, always in like, you know, there's guys that message me say, hey, this watch probably circulated five times. I'm like, listen, it's not a bad thing because from initial price point to the one that you're buying it now, you're probably still saving few, you know, few thousand bucks depending on a piece, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's those opportunities. I mean, as you sort of build your network out, as it were, um, it, it allows you to sort of have access to more and more pieces. And as long as you're sort of able to stay on top of managing who's looking for what, you're sort of able to bring people together and create those deals using stock, okay. stock that isn't, isn't even necessarily your stock. You're able to just keep an inventory of what somebody else has, and then you can use that to kind of create other deals and opportunities as they come together. I think that's really Absolutely. cool as well too. And is that sort of like, part of the interconnectedness of um, how like the dealer side of things are like, are you connected with a lot of other dealers or is this sort of more of just you're making these deals through other clients who are just looking to move pieces along and they're maybe just regular collectors, for example. Uh, a little bit of both. I would say, obviously, you know, I'm connected with other dealer network, right. You know, if especially you would, this would probably the best example would be if someone's looking for a specific Rolex, mm -hmm. you know, you can just reach out to a dealer's 
chats and say, hey, anyone has this piece in stock? And they would say, you know, yes, we do and whatever. And you make a deal. When it comes to more end buyers and my end users and my personal clients, it's, you know, I obviously keep track on my Excel file, everybody who buys what, you know, mm-hmm. when was it sold, whatever, how much was it sold for? So I always have access to that stuff, right? So if somebody picks up something more unique, you know, that doesn't come around that often, I would know that, that if I ever need that piece, I can reach out to this gentleman, right? Offer him a, a, a you know, uh, offer him a, a chance to sell it if he wants to, or, you know, trade it or upgrade it to something else. But yeah, you, I keep my clients very close to me. You know, obviously the ones that are in Toronto, it's a little easier. You know, we go out for drinks. We can, you know, we always talk about work. So it's nice. I wish, you know, you were closer and other clients were all in Toronto. But with some people, unfortunately, I can't do that. But I still, you know, I always message them. Hey, how are you? I, of course. Celebrate, you know, happy, wish them happy birthday on their birthdays. You know, you got to keep in touch with clientele because that's kind of what build, well, that's how I build my brand, right? Is that personable approach, more you know, not general, like, but more personal, I guess I would say. Kind of that old school approach to business as well, too, where it's about the relationships as well, right? Because those relationships in the end end up, you know, they get, they'll come to you for the piece they want to get. That puts money in your pocket, food on your table. And it also, you know, it, the, the, the client has someone that they're comfortable going to, right? Especially like, you know, to me, you're right. Like, it, it'd be awesome if we were in the same location as each other, but obviously we're 4,000 kilometers apart. But yeah. um, it, it's just like, but knowing that there's someone that I can go directly to, if there's something that I want to sell or something I want to get, and I can ask you about it. And like yeah. having somebody that's kind of your go-to for that, even it doesn't necessarily end up in a sale or a deal, but of knowing course. that there's someone you can go to potentially is at least the first step that can put you in the right direction if need be is I think invaluable. And, you know, a lot of people in this space already are sort of connected with somebody uh, of, of that type of way. But if, you know, if you're looking for someone, I don't think there's any one else out there that does it as well as you do, man. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's tremendous. It. Well, I've been around a long time and I've dealt with a lot of people. I've bought and sold a lot of watches and I got to say, it's, it's been a different experience doing it with you, buddy. And it's pretty cool. So I'm very happy to, uh, you know, to pump your brand a little bit, man. I think that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. It's really, Thank really you. cool to, to do that. So, um, you know, one of the things that we kind of t- wanted to get on a little bit when it came to like market trends, not just so much like value and money wise, but just like, what did you notice in the last little bit are maybe um, becoming brands that are maybe getting more attention? Um, people are looking to pick up uh, maybe that they weren't before or some of the, what are some of the fast movers and some of the slow movers that you've noticed in the last little bit? And has there been any big change or shift in the market sentiment towards certain brands that you've noticed? Um, you know, it's, I would really have to like go through my file to answer that question, you know, very precisely, but from on top of my head, you know, obviously, you know, with any brand, as soon as something gets discontinued, you right. know, people try not to acquire it earlier in the game because they feel like the price might be not as high as, or the price potential might not be as high as it will be eventually one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, like, I'll be honest with you, you know, Brightlink sell pretty steady for me. Um, you know, IWCs, Omegas, those seem to be like those steady movers. Um, with the current market condition that we're in, obviously, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, their interest rates. Sometimes they say they're going to raise them, they don't raise them and so on and so forth. It seems like the, the, you know, the perfect number for people where they're comfortable is like in between five to 8,000. And then when it comes to obviously a Rolex is, you know, stuff that's like 
you know, used to be 40K, now it's 20K, you know, people are, that really wanted that piece are now trying to acquire it. But what you see more of right now is that a lot of people are trying to trade out of, let's say, trade out of their non-Rolexes to get into Rolexes, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy, because I had, a, for example, I'll give you an example. I had a client message me and say, hey, um, you know, I picked up this, let's say IWC from you uh, maybe four months ago or five months ago, and I'm looking to get into, let's say a Pepsi. You know, I, I sold it, you sold it to me for nine grand. And uh, would you be, what kind of trade value you would give me? You know, those discussions I have all day, but you know, five months ago, Pepsi was at, let's say 30 grand right now it's at 25 grand. And the guy expects me to pay him still nine grand for his piece that he bought, right? You're going to educate your customers to under explain that, that, you know, even though like, you know, there's guys out there that have their IWCs and say, I want to trade it towards a day just because they feel like as of day just will have one day potential to be worth 15 grand and their IWC, maybe not so much, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily true, right? Like, I tell people the way I see things, right? Like when you buy something that's overpriced, you mm-hmm. will always be, well, again, not overpriced, let's say hyped. Let's mm-hmm. put it that, that, that would be prob- probably a better word. You know, it has potential of going up and down. When you're buying something at a certain discount, you know, that IWC will not be worth two grand, no matter what, unless maybe 20 years from now, or the watch is broken into half, right? Like you always have that, uh, you know, that, threshold level between how much you will sell it for and how much you got it for mm-hmm. so it's like cost of ownership of an iwc let's say it's thousand bucks for somebody who wanted to watch tried it wore it let's say enjoyed it for six seven months a year you know he doesn't mind losing a thousand bucks but the difference is when somebody bought a pepsi for 30 grand and they have to call me and say hey what how much would you pay and i would say listen i can pay you 23 because they sell for 24 you know that's a harder pill to swallow for some people and they say well oh dropped so much well it was already two times more expensive as, as initially. So, you know, it's normal that it can go up and down. But uh, yeah, other than that, man, like for me, you know, you see, you know, what I sell, the Brightlings, the Omegas, the Panerais, I do a little bit of everything. I don't focus only on high end or low end. I, I do everything, right? I sell whatever comes my way. I think it's more interesting. I know a lot of people just try to stick to three, four major brands, but um, you know, I do everything. If I don't have something and you need something, I'll definitely find it. Right. It's mm-hmm. not a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, I think that's a great approach. I mean, yeah, obviously some, some of that's going to be having that, those hard conversations. And you kind of mentioned like, for example, with the Pepsis, right. I mean, like the people that are getting into it to take the gamble about making a bunch of money. Well, it is a gamble. You have to be willing to lose money as well too. And there's nothing to say that like, you know, if people don't get them and sit on them again, even longer, they might not go back up. I don't, I don't necessarily think they will to where they were before, especially now that Rolex is making, what is it? Three new factories and things like that as well too. So hopefully production will start to, to ramp up. I don't know if they'll ever go back to three times, four times the price like they were just because now I think enough of them have come out into the market. But I mean, I think you'll always be able, if you can get one at retail or close to, you'll always be able to make money on one of those models for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah, hundred percent. But we also got to keep in mind, even if they are making those three factories, right? You got to allocate, you know, X amount of years for that to happen. Yeah. Right. And then you got to allocate manpower to it. And you also have to remember that two years ago or whatever the peak was, money was cheap. Interest mm-hmm. rates were 0.9. You know, Bitcoin was going through the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of guys that bought Bitcoin for three grand, sold at 80 grand. He didn't care to pay for Pepsi 30, 40,000, mm-hmm. you know, 
And, you know, there is a lot of these examples that you have to also remember that, you know, will I ever go that high? I don't know. I don't want to say yes or no. You know, it's very unlikely right now that it will hit that high, high numbers. But, you know, if they keep it more exclusive and more private or like, you know, depends what they do, right? It all, in the end of the day, like the market, the pricing and everything will be like um, commanded by the supply. That's all. Yeah. And what people are willing to pay, right? That's what it's going to come down to, right? People are still people are still willing to pay thirty grand for one, then they'll be selling for that, right? Yeah. So, absolutely, hundred percent. Well, kind of circling back to uh, where we we were talking about near the beginning, which was with regards to Brightling, because in your personal collection, you're a Brightling guy as well, too. Obviously, right. like I said earlier on, I'm becoming a bit of a Brightling guy as well myself, and and I, I hope to get a couple more in the near future as well. Um, you know. What is it about Brightling specifically for yourself as a dealer and just as a, as a personal collector that you find so interesting about the brand? So uh, back again to Watchers and Wonders, uh, you know, they, lately, you know, what I start to, you know, if you pay attention to some of the brands, like everybody seems to be doing very similar trends, right? Mm-hmm. Like when Patek releases a green dial, Rolex follows with a green dial, Cartier released a Santos and a green dial. It's very predictable, you know, shall we say. But with Breitling, they have their own design language. I think that they're one of the best watches you can buy for the money, especially mm-hmm. if you try to acquire and on the secondary market. Yeah. And in the, the history and, you know, the a lot of like for me, I was a Breitling fan. I told you on our first episode because my dad was a pilot. He flew. So it's that wing logo. When mm. you see it, it reminds you of the aviation. Well, what night a timer, you know, that advertisement back in the day when they had you. Breitling was more associated as a status symbol, like, you know, like Rolex and Patek or AP now. You know, when the guys that wore Breitling, you thought, oh, this guy's a badass. You know, mm. I didn't know much about the brand at that time, but. I really like their design language. I really love their new premier lines. I don't know if you saw them. And I think they're just doing great things, man. And, and most importantly, like that new, um, what is it called? The new Chronomat 40 mil. I don't know if you saw it. Man, that watch is insane. The yeah. health it is. I love their new bullet bracelet. You have to try that bracelet to be able to really see how comfortable it is. Like it's just, it hugs your wrist that I can't explain. I was taking some pictures actually on my Instagram the other day and I was, I was shocked. And you're getting the watch for even MSRP is like what sixty five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. You think about you're getting a watch with GMT with a date with two hundred meter water resistance, screw down crown on a bracelet for sixty five hundred dollars. And then obviously if you come to me, it'll be cheaper too. But I mean, still a crazy bang for the buck I find. And I don't think there is anything that comes close to like fit and finishing in terms of how unique they are in their own way. The Breitling watches. Well, you mentioned something interesting as well, too, which was like both. I mean, I think buying them directly from an AD or from or from a dealer, um, the prices are already certainly competitive with the rest of the market and other brands. But then, yes, you go to the secondary market. And that's where I find it gets very interesting because I have had the opportunity to handle a couple now. Obviously, I've had the opportunity to handle this one. And like one of the things that surprised me was that you can get really nice Breitlings for like, you know, for my Canadian listeners, like $2,500, $3,000 for my American listeners, like between $1,700 and like $2,500. And, yeah. and these watches are, are built to the same standard fit and finish as anything, at least from the era uh, from like Rolex, Omega, 
uh, Panerai and things like that. But, you know, maybe they have like a more standard movement or something and then like a like a like an ETA based movement like Omega or Panerai did at the time. But I just it surprises me that they just seem to go for so much more or less money than a lot of these other brands. And why do you think that is in your, in your perspective? Like, is it a demand issue? Is it the sizing? Like, do they, do they, is it one of those brands where you just either love it or hate it? And that's what's affecting the price. Like what is your, your take on why they're so cheap on the secondary market? Uh, well, I think, you know, you nailed it in a way that, you know, it's one of these brands that you either hate it or love it because uh, Breitling is, historically is known to make larger watches, right? If we go back, let's say six to 10 years ago, they were always at 48 mils, 50 mils, thick, chunky, you know, not everybody can pull those watches off. Uh, so for people tend to kind of drift away from that market, but what people are, you know, a lot of people probably don't know is their new line. For example, the watch that you got on your wrist is extremely comfortable. It's extremely wearable. Breitling is not trying to compete in a territory of, you know, watches that are 20, 30 grand. And that's mm -hmm. what people need to remember, right? When Rolex releases their titanium yacht master, they're asking $18,000. When you can pick up like a Breitling, just trying to think of which titanium Breitling there is, but the one, the one that you're wearing, it, it has the ceramic material. You get the same watch with a date. Okay, maybe not an in-house movement, but you're paying a fraction of the price. And the other thing is to answer your question about the pricing. I, I think it's just, it's more, I don't know, how do I even, people just, it's like Hublot. People don't really associate Breitling with a value retention brand, right? Mm -hmm. I think that if you walk into a boutique, you buy one, you walk out, you're 50% off. But I don't see it like that, right? And again, it's a perception. I, I, I personally think there is no better watch. You can buy, like you said, for 25, 3,000, you know, whether it's pre-owned or even something nicer that they have with BO1 movements for six, seven grand than the Breitling for the money you can get, in my opinion. Well, those things, like if you're like a younger guy or just someone who wants to kind of get into like a, um, get into like a luxury type piece, particularly if you don't mind buying something that's a little older, like, you know, from like the 2014, 2010, that type of era, yeah. like, like the level of quality you can get for $2,500 is insane. Like it's like, you're, 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 again, like these are pro professional grade, tough, watches that could compete with anything else that is sort of any of those other big heritage brands at the tasks they're designed for but again you're paying a fraction of the price i mean you look at you compare it to like a um like a bond seamaster or something like that from the era it's just yeah. as, it's just as well finished and probably just as capable or more capable but they cost half the price yeah which I find very, very interesting. So one of those things I think is so interesting about the brand and it's sort of one of those things where once you've experienced them and you kind of, either you get it or you kind of don't with them, I guess. And it's kind of like Panerai in that way as well too. Yeah. I think they have a very unique, um, a unique story to tell and a unique design language. And some people just jive with it and some of them don't, you know? Correct. I, I think that's right. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. What's uh, coming up next for you with uh, Risk Time Co? Is there anything we have to look forward to, or any other exciting kind of uh, things to look forward to coming into twenty twenty three here, or moving into middle of twenty twenty three? No, my friend, nothing that I can think of right now. Uh, you know, just continue what I'm doing. You know, try to provide better products. You know, better service. You know, it's definitely harder to when you get to a certain amount of level of followers, I don't know. I always wondered how do people have like 
20, 30 million followers, but I get it. They have agents who run their Instagram, mm-hmm. right? So I do have a guy right now that's helping me move some of my product. Nice. But I, I want to make sure, you know, I'm able to answer everyone right away. Like when you message me, I don't like when people wait and wait, right? So I got to make sure to stay on top of everything. So for now, I don't have any big changes or big plans. Just going to continue providing the service I do and the products. Hopefully we'll get some new stuff, more interesting things down the road, right? Now, there's always something cool popping up on your site, man. That's for sure. And anyone who wants to kind of get the inside uh, scoop or wants to help you or wants to talk to you about finding something specific, they can always reach out to you directly. What are some of the places people can interact with uh, Risk Time Co's um, website or, or content or something like that? What are those landing spots? Uh, best place to reach me is through my Instagram page, which is the Risk Time Co. I do have a website. However, you know, product doesn't get updated there daily. Um, mm-hmm. I have some inventory but there's different ways you can do it through website through email whatsapp but best way is through my instagram very nice very nice well i'll make sure i drop uh, the website the instagram all that description box below just like last time you know it's been so much fun chatting with you as always man i I appreciate coming in here and kind of doing that shorter update on the market and kind of what you've been up to um i think that it'll be really cool to kind of track trends uh you know every few months getting you back on the show and kind of chatting about things i think that'll be a a lot of fun and something to look forward to likewise for myself if anyone has any questions comments feedback feel free to send me an email at ricoswatchespodcast at gmail.com additionally if you want to chat with me directly uh through dms or just want to follow along with the show kind of directly at its central hub head over to instagram at rico's watches podcast give me a follow over there uh if you enjoy this episode in an audio medium and want to enjoy this or many of my other episodes in a video medium uh feel free to head over to rico's watches podcast on youtube and uh, just make sure you like subscribe leave a uh comment and all that kind of good stuff that helps with the algorithm ren it's been so much fun man chatting with you it's always an absolute pleasure i look forward to the opportunity to do it again very soon of course rico thank you pleasure is all mine man thank you for having me Absolutely, and take care.